I mean, we could discuss the Sontag, or we could get to the thing we didn't get to last week, which was sort of, what are you enjoying? Ah! Ah! Bug! Ah! Oh, shit! Ah! It ran right into my face! Welcome to your Buzz Rant and Ray podcast. I'm Andrew Rant. Tonight's episode, Binge and Purge. I'm joined by our pop culture panel of Amy Watts and Dan Suter to talk about summer television and binge watching. As you'll notice, the conversation got a little bit disjointed due to Skype. Uh, I apologize in advance. Let us join us already in progress. But, uh, Amy, you wanted to, uh, to lead us in this discussion of what we've been watching? Well, I'll just say that most of my watching this summer, I'm going to tie the first two things together. Most of my watching this summer has been binge watching. Um, I mean, there's been a few currently airing original series kind of things that I've been keeping up with, like Suits and Switched at Birth. But other than that, most of it's been just, you know, sucking at the teat of Netflix streaming. And, uh, so, f- and, and so I'm going to list off the things I've been watching. And I'm going to relate why they are, why they've all been rather suited for the binge watching. Okay. Uh, first one is a British detective series called Midsummer Murders. And the reason it's fantastic for binge watching is because there, there's very little um, episode to episode serialization. You know, it's, it's each episode is very self-contained. So that means that if you binge watch six of them on a weekend, but then you don't come back to it for a month, you don't have to pick up, you don't have to worry about where were we in these storylines. So it's good for the occasional binge. The House Hunters model of binge watching where... Yes, yes. I know a lot of people do this with reality shows, right? They'll just wait for a marathon. Like I know a lot of people that watch America's Next Top Model that way. Like they never watch it when it's on. They just wait for a marathon. I was actually going to say that it seems to me that like that's a different approach to binge watching in that most of the time you hear like, oh, it's great. It's serialized. You can take it all down at once and just, you know, not have to remember any of the details. But you're saying that because it's so serialized, you like intermittently binging as opposed to a full on binge. So you binge, then purge, then binge again. (laughs) It's it's like taking control of what the the networks tend to do like when there's uh holidays and they put on marathons of various programs exactly well and then the other thing is with midsummer murders because they there is so little serialization if i find that particular they're about an hour and a half long each because they're kind of like little teleplays in a way um and if i don't find that week's case interesting I just stop and I go to the next one and I don't have to worry that I missed anything. So it's sorry. The bug is back. Okay. I've got an eye on it though. All right. So the, the summer murders, it means that I can just, I can binge watch, but I can also, it's like having a box of chocolates and I know which ones are the coconuts and I can just, you know, go past all the ones I don't want to watch. And so I like Uh, that about it, that I can selectively binge. So it's basically an anthology series, though. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's got the same lead detective from week to week. So it's like a one order, in other words, more or less. 
where the structure is consistent, no, but the, honestly, the stories are different or. Actually, I would say it's more like um, a lot of the mystery shows that you see on PBS that we import from England where um, like something like Inspector Lewis or a Miss Marple or something like that, where it's like, you know, each week is its own little case and, you know, there's recurring characters and maybe you know that, okay, this person is kind of making googly eyes at someone else and maybe they're going to hook up in about four episodes, but that's not a big deal. Like, that's not the – each week's case is the focus. So, yes, kind of like Law & Order, um, but I would say with even less week-to-week storyline. So is it is it good or is it just uh, – Oh, I'm I, addicted I, to it. Mystery. I mean, but it's very much comfort food. I mean, it's very much, you know, warm cup of tea and a scone kind of comfort food watching. Um, one of the things I really like about it is that the the actor was in, the actor that plays the lead detective was interested in it because the detective was so normal. He's not tortured. He's not angsty. He's been married to the same woman for years, and they're in a very happy marriage. Their house is nice and well kept. They have pleasant hobbies. He enjoys good food and wine, but he's not an alcoholic. He's he, just he a, comes home. Has he's just a normal a guy that deals with a lot of murder. <laughs> I kind of so like it's, that. It, it's really relaxing in that way. You know, after so many, um, you know, anti-heroes and, you know, complicated protagonists and things like that, just to have a normal guy at the heart of things, you know, that's not where the drama is coming from. The drama is coming from the mysteries. Have you it, ever... It's refreshing. Have you, I forget which Bond novel it is, but there's an entire Bond. I don't know if it's a novel or a novella where it's basically Bond coming home after after the events of one of the big cases or whatever. And James Bond just like fixes a martini and hangs out in his house and reads a book. And it's an entire like novella about that. That's what it reminded me of. And I kind of like <laughs> that. It's like the yeah, anti-joke. They, they don't spend a lot of time on his home life, but again – that's kind of the way I like it because that's not the focus of the show. And I also kind of like like it in the sense that there probably are a lot of cops and detectives out there who are like him. You know, they go and they have this really difficult, upsetting job. But then at the end of the day, they put it aside and they have a happy family life. So I like it. It's comforting. You said the next thing you've been watching was uh, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy, which is the exact opposite. It's very serial. <laughs> and very anti-hero, good. too. Yes, yes. But the thing that's been wonderful about it is uh, binge watching it is the things that happened in season one that are now important. I don't have to just rely on the previouslys to kind of dimly remember who was that guy from that thing that time. You know, I just watched it last week. Which is like you were saying, Dan, the advantage cited by most people that binge watch. What do you, so what do you think of sounds? What do I think of it? Oh, I thought I thought okay, yeah. What do I think of it? Um, I like it. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Did you just hear my cat's growling? <laughs> yes. I didn't know if the mic picked that up or not. I wanted you to know that's not me. That okay, making weird noises. Anyway, not this time. Um. 
Sons of Anarchy is, uh, it's basically a soap opera for dudes. I mean, like, the whole time I was watching it, that's all I could think. And I actually started drawing up a list of plot lines on Sons of Anarchy that have also been on Grey's Anatomy. Because <laughs> I'm like, everybody, everybody calls Grey's Anatomy chick TV. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, here, let me show you how similar Sons of Anarchy is. I think Sons of Anarchy is a great show to binge watch. I've only watched it in that way. I watched the first couple seasons on DVD, then recorded everything else and kind of watched it in bits and pieces. But it doesn't require a week to sit between each episode. The, the more you think about it, the less it holds together. And it, it's very soapy. Yes. <laughs> it's it's very. It, there's just not much to it, but as long as you're immersed in watching it, the process of watching it, it's a lot of fun. And there's some good performances I and it's exciting. I watched it. I watched it religiously. I, I watched it as it aired, so I don't have the binging experience with it. I watched it as it aired for the first three seasons, and then I quit in season four. And I quit in the middle of a season, which I never do with shows. But the the show gets a the show gets soapy, very soapy in a way. And this isn't going to spoil anything for anyone. Um, it it keeps rehashing the same things over and over again by season four. And there's a lot of uh, do ex machina and all that stuff. And uh, it, uh, it, it season by the time you get through season three, you've kind of seen the to offer, I think. But uh, I mean, it, you know, I think it's the, the example of a show where the creators don't want to change the characters too much. They they're afraid to bring them to different places. And although I. From I'm still only halfway through the last season, the most recent season. I have it sitting on my TiVo to finish watching at some point. But the rest of it, it feels like for a long time they just found other ways to create conflict rather than move the characters forward in any way based on what had happened before. And kind of keeping, keeping wheels spinning in the same place without really change and allowing these characters to grow and develop and change yeah now, i'll go a little further than you i'll call kurt sutter a coward i think he got <laughs> turns out he had turns out he has one of the most successful uh shows on on not just cable television but on television television and uh he's too cowardly to do anything with characters like clay morrow and and yeah he he's he's a coward the show started um there's the illusion of danger, but not the true presence of it. And it abandoned the Hamlet on motorcycles thing partway through season two. I That was one of my favorite parts of it, and that's sort of what they got away from. I mean, it isn't to say that they can't uh, do good things from time to time. And there are characters that I always enjoyed. You know, I, I very much enjoyed Ryan Hurst's work on the show. Um, that's Opie. Um, oh, I, have you? Obi. Where, uh, I know what happens. I know what happens with Obi. I quit I, the I, show. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't watch the show anymore. Uh, but yeah, he is. I, I love. I, I was just gonna say, I when I watched the first season, the one thing I thought is that the show should have been about Opi and not about Jax. That Ryan yeah. Hurst was out acting Charlie Hunnam, and just the perspective of the character who came out of prison and is then thrust back into this world with all the pressures of it, rather than the guy who's kind of there, has 
you know, is the heir apparent isn't as interesting of a character. He, the struggles that Jax is having aren't anywhere as interesting as what Obi is going through in season one. And he really, and yeah, I know it's not quite as Hamlet-y as it would be if Obi was the main character, but he really should have been the focus of the first season as the point of view character. Although I will say my, the one thing I really like about Jax and then, um, Clay sort of being the leads is that it means we get Gemma in the foreground more than we would if it was an Opie POV. And I, I will I will give Kurt Shutter all the credit in the world for getting dudes to watch a soap opera that has a wonderful female performance at its heart of an interesting and complex female character. Yeah, and I'll also give him credit for doing things to his wife on television that he probably wouldn't want to see. Well, that, but I mean, you know, and, and, and I know what you're referring to, but then letting her have that storyline and letting her and, and, and letting us, the audience see, I mean, I loved that the thing that happened to her wasn't just forgotten about three episodes later. It played out over the course of the entire season and that's a real that's that's more realistic than you get on a lot of shows. I will say the one drawback with binge watching it is they left in all the previously's on, which are really long. And so if you're watching a ton of them in a row, oh, no. you get sick yes. to death of seeing certain scenes over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, I think of I, any show on television currently, Sons of Anarchy has by far the longest previously's. And I don't understand why that's not something they don't take out or at least give you an option of watching with or without the previously given how much people binge watch. Although with the DVD, I I don't know what it's like on uh, the Netflix, but with the DVDs, at least you can skip over the credit sequence easily. Um, They're not chapterized on Netflix. Then the other thing that I want to mention that I've been binge watching and I am... I watch the first four seasons on Netflix, watch instantly, and then I get to the, and I'm like, wait, wait, where's the fifth season? And they have the fifth season on DVD, but not streaming. So I had to go out, I, had, I borrowed the fifth season from my library, and that is Fringe. Okay. I, I zoomed through the first four seasons of Fringe in about three weeks. I watched um, the first four seasons on Netflix Watch instantly and then panicked when it turned out that when they said they had five seasons, a hundred episodes, they didn't mean online to stream. They just meant in DVD. So I had to go find the DVDs to feed the need. So I haven't watched the fifth season yet. Uh, well, neither have I. I actually missed the final season of Fringe. But uh, what have you thought so far? It is perfect for binge watching because they have perfected the art of the end of the episode cliffhanger. <laughs> you watch the last five minutes of any fringe episode and you're like, Oh my God, what's the next one? And, and I mean, it's ridiculous how, how well they've done that. I mean, I enjoy uh, the show in general, but I also have to say that a big part of why, why it's a good binge watch is that, set up for what's the next one what's the next one you know something yeah. like something like mad men for example 
you know, each episode is really good, but I almost feel like you do kind of need that week to savor and digest it before you watch the next one. And even when there's been kind of big plot developments on Mad Men that you want to know how it's going to turn out, it's not a cliffhanger in the same way that Fringe is doing it. You know, Fringe is using the old serial at the movie theater. You got to come back next Saturday and watch the next part cliffhanger. Whereas Mad Men invites deep analysis and looking in very deeply into the composition of the scenes and the words the players that the performers are saying, the characters are saying. Fringe is all about plot. Yes and no, because here's the thing. I think as much as Fringe is suited for binge watching from a viewer point of view, um, who was the show creator that was railing against binge watching? Simon, David Simon, right? Was it David Simon? Yes, I think that was David Simon. That was David Simon. Well, not positive. Uh, so I'll you, say you this for Fringe. There. As much as that cliffhanger technique really makes it perfect as a viewer to be able to binge watch it because you don't have to sit there and wonder for a whole week what's going to happen. It yes, does, in a way, undermine looking for that kind of subtle character development and subtext and and things like that that I think are probably there in French. And it's reminding me a lot of books I've read that as I'm reading them, I know they're good books and that things interesting are happening with the language or the character development or the scene that's being set. But I'm so driven to find out how the plot is going to resolve that I end up not skimming, but reading faster than is preferable for savoring, if that makes sense. And what I would say about Fringe is that actually, um, it, when it started out, it was a lot less serialized. Um, you know, sort of the burn notice month. The case of the week has a little bit extra that goes into that, uh, you know, mythology. And they just sort of, you know, when the ratings kind of weren't totally there, um, they just went whole hog on the mythology. It, a lot of this wound up being about uh, the power of love and less about um, the wonders of science. And I like the show. I just think that a lot of times people didn't um, quite get what was going on with the show. I mean... I get that with the, um, you know, the, ooh, there's mushy feelings and things like that. But at the same time, I still like this whole idea of, I mean, I felt like they had a lot of fun playing with the idea of alternate universes and alternate realities and things like that. That may not be the kind of hard sci-fi that sci-fi people want, but to me, there's a that's a grand tradition of science fiction is, you know, the sort of what if the twist that kind of thing yeah i that's but fringe i do so fringe is a plus on the binge watch for you absolutely and one thing that's kind of fun um i mean i don't feel like this is giving too much away because you know you know i've already mentioned alternate universes one of the things i like about fringe is that uh each week they subtly alter the credits um, primarily with different color schemes that instantly signal to you kind of where and when that episode is taking place. My favorite one of those is the uh, 80s episode. When they do the flashback episodes, that's a lot of fun. In the 80s episode, you know, because 
what happens for those who haven't seen Frame, um, it flashes by things like, you know, future technologies and stuff like that. And then in the 80s, it's like computer networks and satellite weaponry and things we kind of already have. So. Well, and the other thing about those, like you say, it's not just the color, which is kind of cool, but it is also the what's, you know, what's considered innovative for that time and that place. And so it's a little bit of subtle commentary on the worlds they've, they're depicting, which I liked a lot. Um, I'll also say when we talked before on this podcast about um, the Vampire Diaries, and I was very effusive about Nina Dobrev and her portrayer her portrayal of two similar characters. Um, Anna Torv is knocking it out of the park. Uh, I mean, John Noble is as well, but I think, you know, given his pedigree, you expect that from him. But, you know, I knew nothing of Anna Torv, and I don't really know that she was even in that much before Fringe. And her playing two different characters is really terrific i think she's doing a great job with that in the same way that nina dobrev was i mean they're obviously doing the same thing where oh look their hair is different so you get an instant signal as to who is who but even without that you know she carries herself differently her voice is different i mean but in a very natural way and i really am enjoying that watching her performance i can't wait to see what she's going to do next i don't know that she's really been that active and uh, and speaking of playing different characters, uh, since we recorded the last the last episode, I did finish Orphan Black, and uh, Tatiana Maslany still does a great job playing different characters and differentiating different versions of the clones. But that show is so so Canadian. How <laughs> so? It's it's interesting in that the first episode, the first few episodes are very vague about where it is. It could be kind of generic any town western civilization it's kind of vaguely american kind of vaguely european kind of vaguely british kind of vaguely canadian but you don't really know and as it goes on you can just tell that they are in the greater toronto area and it's just so so canadian i i you know early on there are some you know ontario license plates but as it goes on, and they actually get a little more ambitious and start doing more exteriors, which I think is a good thing, actually, for a for a BBC America co-production. Um, does get pretty odd. <laughs> Isn't there an explicit uh, reference to Hamilton at one point? There, there's an explicit reference to some place in the Toronto area that finally, around like six or seven or eight episodes in. They finally fully acknowledge that this is happening in Toronto, and it gives it a sense of place, whereas before it was just very kind of vague and generic. And I like that. I like that sense of place. That's a good pivot there. Uh, besides Orphan Black, what else are you watching? Uh, pretty much the only other thing that I've been uh, watching in any kind of binge form or pretty much any kind of summer form was Orange is the New Black which seems to be the show that everyone has been binge-watching over the summer because uh, it's on Netflix, really release everything at once, so it's designed for that. And it's just very good. It was a very well-executed, well-produced, clever show. And it, unlike a lot of other, uh, a lot of other things, it does have a lot of great female characters. 
and it is uh, probably like The Wire's uh, uh, complete lack of recognition for its cast. I suspect that Orange is the New Black will not be recognized for the great diversity of its uh, supporting characters. That's that's a show that um, I watch it, but uh, see, kind of when I get around to talking about my stuff, it's just hard to find time when they dump all those episodes on you, and it's hard to watch. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. That's my uh, that's my cell phone. Uh, uh, the it's hard to watch. I think when they dump all that on you, and then nobody you know is at the same pace, you know, and it's hard to. I feel like the cultural conversation dissipates a lot faster when everyone's talking at a, everyone's at a different point and you don't have a common, you know, frame of reference. So it's the exact opposite of the Sharknado effect. There we go. And I feel like came and went very quickly. And Orange is the New Black has stuck around a little longer in the cultural conversation just because I think we're kind of getting the second and third wave and fourth wave of people who are watching it based on the lash and the backlash and the, the hype against the hype and all that, you know, it's not that there's been much against it, but just the waves of hype keep rippling outward. Well, I mean, that's one of the things where, you know, I have my TV group that comes over every Tuesday night to watch a show together and we did house of games no, House of Cards. I always want to get those confused. I very much like House of Games, um, but we're talking about House of Cards, the TV show. And uh, in that setting, it made more sense. Because like you're saying, since you can, since anybody can watch it at their own pace, you're not getting that kind of instantaneous, you know, Sunday night reaction time. But when I'm watching it with five of my friends in the room, we can have that as soon as the episode ends. Yeah, that's... Uh, and so you, now you've both seen Orange is the New Black. Do you think that's a show that... I have not seen it yet. Oh, you haven't seen it. I'm saving so, it for my TV group. Andrew, do you think that's a show that should be binged, or is that a show that benefits from some time to breathe? I think it's a show that encourages binge-watching, that you get to the end of an episode and it pulls you into the next one very strongly. <laughs> Foolishly, we decided to go ahead and get into the second half of our planned outline for the evening and talk about two graphic novels that we had read for the, the podcast, one by Alison Bechdel, Fun Home, and one by Jeffrey Lemaire, The Underwater Welder. That part of the podcast was even more disjointed and is going to be more difficult for me to piece together, and I haven't done that yet. So uh, look forward to that sometime soon. Uh, we'll get back to recording shortly. And uh, I should be forcing Dan and Amy to watch a seminal work of American television that surprisingly neither of them have uh, spent much time watching. So uh, until next time, you can find us on the web at buzzrantrave.com. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Raff. You can find Dan on the web at dansudra.com on Twitter at Naked Baby Photos. 
It's a Ben Folds 5 reference. And uh, Amy Watts is at Amy Watts. I've been told that we need to have a real end to the show. Um, I'm open to suggestions. Please uh, either send me suggestions on Twitter or via email, uh, andrew at andrewrath.com. Until then, 